Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be. And my heart felt alone and I cried, oh Lord, don't hide your face from me. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the great unknown. Take my hand, let me stand where no one stands. Like a king, I may live in a palace so tall with great riches to call my home. But I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the great unknown. Take my hand, let me stand. That's what we need. Praise the Lord. Well, the colonies officially declared their independence on July the 4th, 1776. And of course, that declaration was simply that. It was a declaration of independence. Because the battle that would ensue would ensue over the next seven years, and it would ultimately determine their fate. For seven long years, seven grueling years, men and women in this budding nation would endure unspeakable hardship. They'd sacrifice family and friends, property and prosperity, comfort and convenience, and yet to the thousands of colonists that were here, it was worth the price. You know, as believers, 
we've been declared free. And the Bible tells us that we are free indeed. You know, we uh, have a declaration then. And uh, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's declared. But the battle for freedom always rages, doesn't it? Even as uh, believers in Christ, even though the Lord Jesus indwells us, even though he lives in us, even though we're saved and eternally secure, there's no doubt that salvation is eternal because we are given eternal life. But there's still a battle for freedom. Freedom from the flesh, freedom from sin, freedom from the devil, freedom from selfishness, freedom from all kinds of things that will ultimately bind us. But the Bible says that we're free indeed. So what does that mean? I mean, in its most simple terms. And so today, I just want to keep it as simple as I possibly can today. And that's good for me, okay? And so I just want to, I created an acronym for free, F-R-E-E. So what does this look like, this freedom? Well, I'm going to give you four simple thoughts, and then I'm going to show you an illustration that I hope we'll just to bring home a few things as we close down the service, okay? So let's go, ahead and have, uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we need you today. I need you more than anybody. And Lord, I count it a great privilege to stand behind this pulpit and proclaim the word of God. But Father, I know that without you, I can do nothing. You said that you're the vine, we're simply the branches. And so Father, anything that will come forth today from this pulpit if it doesn't come forth from you, it will be useless. It'll be vain. No one came here to hear from a mere man. They came to hear from you, the master. I pray, dear God, that you would just fill me with your Holy Ghost. I lay myself on your altar and I ask, dear God, that you would allow me to rise up in a sense and proclaim your truth with all your power and unction. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in our hearts and lives today. May every listening ear be anointed with the Holy Ghost, and Father, may we receive exactly what you'd have for us. May we leave here encouraged, inspired. May we leave here born again if we're not. May we leave here more committed than ever to serve you, to please you, and to just give our best to you. We love you. We'll thank you for what you will accomplish. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So he says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That word free, I mean, that promise that we have from the Lord that we're free indeed. I mean, what does it mean in its simplest terms? Well, let me just throw a few words out. Number one, it means to be forgiven. F, forgiven. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, turn there, would you please? It's a very familiar passage, and I understand that it's addressing and dealing with sin that we may unfortunately commit as believers. I know this. But I do think that there's an application to both lost and saved. And as we look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, and that's a little John, not a big one. It's all the way toward the back, okay? I know you know that, right? Okay. Now, there's three of those Johns, right? I mean, there was only one little John on Houlihan and little John, but, or Big Chuck and little John, but there's three of them here in the Bible. Now, notice the first one. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, we think about being free indeed. We have to recognize the fact and we're blessed to know that we're forgiven. Now, there's not a perfect person in the room. There's not one person here, including myself, obviously, that does, has never sinned. So this is, comes as great news to you and I, right? I mean, we can be free indeed. And that freedom that we experience is a result of the forgiveness that God extends to us. And we know that the Bible says that for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that that gift is given to us because of grace, through faith. Therefore, our forgiveness is not something that we've earned even. It's not something that we deserve. It's something that God, through his grace and mercy, has extended to us. And it means that we are free and free indeed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another... If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. He goes on to say, basically, now as believers, you've been forgiven, now you forgive others. Even as God forgave you, you forgive. My, oh my, what a tall order that is, right? But first of all, and foremost, we are forgiven, wonderfully forgiven, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we think about this freedom. First, F, forgiven. Then we come to the R. What does it mean then? I mean, where are we saying in its simplest terms this word free for us? Uh, uh, we are free indeed. Well, one forgiven, number two, redeemed. I mean, it means to be redeemed. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Again, a familiar passage. You probably have heard it before, possibly. Maybe you've memorized portions of it. If you've never heard it, this is going to be something that will be a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, I'm sure. But notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. We see chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. The Apostle Paul, of course, is addressing the church at Corinth, and he makes the statement, he says, What? You know, see the question mark there? It's a question. What? I mean, there's some things going on here, in it, and we don't have time to get into chapter 6, but chapter 6 is a powerful chapter. And at some point here in verse 19, he finally goes, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? He said, Don't you know that there's the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, living in you? You get that figured out? Have you figured it out yet? He says, Corinthians, don't you know that literally the creator God of the universe, as a result of you receiving and accepting Jesus Christ, your Savior, that he's taken up residency, he's moved in you. Know ye not that you were, he says, he says, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? You remember that Old Testament, he would say? Remember how God dwelt there on the uh, mercy seat between the cherubims? And he said, there, then that holiest of places, there God resided. Can I tell you, that's where God resides today within you. He literally lives and takes up residency in your life. And he goes on to say, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He said, you were bought, you were purchased. That to be redeemed, we were bought back. We were purchased out of slavery. We were purchased out of bondage, the bondage of Satan and the bondage of sin. And God says, you are free indeed today. You don't have to be bound any longer by the flesh. You don't have to obey the flesh. You don't have to literally do what the flesh says. You can overcome it. Why? You are free indeed. 
you've been redeemed. We see the price of that redemption again in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn there, would you please? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we'll read just two verses, but we recognize here that we are bought with a price, but also we see the price. That means we're redeemed, and it costs something. I remember back when I was in 11th grade, and I've told the story probably before, but I was in a, a law class, a, a tort law class, and uh, uh, I was really ahead of my time. But anyway, uh, I still remember sitting in that class, and there we had a teacher called, his name was Mr. Durham, and he was from Georgia, and he loved the Georgia Bulldogs. And in 1981, the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship, and that was the year I graduated. And he was so excited about the Georgia Bulldogs, but he'd say, Mr. O'Donnell, there are no free lunches. He'd say that all the time to me. Mr. O'Donnell, there are no free lunches. I'm like, okay. Well, what's he saying? He's saying everything comes with a price. Now, Mr. Durham, I'll be frank with you, at that point in my life, I don't know that I was where I belong with the Lord to the point where I was the witness I ought to be, but I can tell you this. I said, if he didn't know Jesus Christ, then he's right. At his point in his life, there had been no free lunches. There is only one thing that's free in this life, and that's eternal life that's given to us through Jesus Christ. But outside of that, it is all something we got to work for and we have to earn. And in this case, even that salvation that's ours, that's a free gift to you and I, it came with a tremendous price. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we read what it was. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh my, we see that picture back in Exodus, and there we have the Passover taking place, and the blood is, is applied to the doorpost and the lentil, and as the, uh, the, the destroyer comes along, he sees the blood, and he says, I will pass over you. And we have this precious blood of Jesus Christ that's been applied to our lives today. And when the, the God, the creator of the universe, the righteous judge of the universe, when we stand before him in that sense, at the judgment seat of Christ, he will have already said, I pass over you. I'm not judging you for your sin. I'm not judging you for your failures. I'm judging you for what you've done since you've been saved. But I'm not going to see your sin anymore. It's been paid in full. We've been redeemed. How can we be free indeed? Well, in its simplest form, it simply means that... that to be forgiven, to be redeemed. And then it means escaping the consequences of our sin. Escaping the consequences. Look at John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24. Escaping the consequences of our sin. We see forgiven, redeemed, and escaping. Wow, that's a wonderful escape. John 5, 24 Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. What a wonderful truth. It's amazing to think about. 
Matter of fact, in John chapter uh, 3, verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Man, the wrath of God abides on us outside of Jesus Christ. But that wrath is not going to be applied to you and I. No, we have, we've escaped that condemnation. We've escaped the penalty of sin. Oh yeah, there are consequences for our actions in this life, but we will never spend one moment in a place called hell or the lake of fire because of our sin. To be free indeed. What's that word free imply? I mean, in its simplest terms, it means to be forgiven. It means to be redeemed. It means escaping the consequences of sin. And finally, it means everlasting life. Not only do we escape the consequences of sin, but we're given everlasting life. Or we might say eternal life. We know the verse. You probably know it by heart. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. When does that life begin? It begins the very moment that we fall on our face before the Lord Jesus Christ when we humble ourselves before Him and confess our sin, our sinfulness before a holy God and we cry out to Him for mercy and receive and accept His grace by calling on the name of the Lord. At that very moment, we have everlasting life. And if it is everlasting, it is forever life. In 1 John 5, 11, the Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Praise the Lord. Hey, that freedom came with a great price, we said. Remember, we talked about it. All of these wonderful freedoms, the fact that we're forgiven, redeemed, that we're escaping the consequences of sin, that everlasting life is ours forever, that's a wonderful thing. You talk about free, that's freedom. But it came at a great price, and it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Today, this cross stands here, and I, I wanted you to see the cross here just as kind of an illustration, but as we consider the cross, we think about the fact that today we gather in a church, and in many cases, sometimes, there, there, there are folks in churches that have been confronted with the cross over and over and over again. However, there are those that maybe are there for the first time. For the first time in their life, they have finally been told or they've been taught about Jesus who hung on that cross 2,000 years ago where the nails were placed in his hands and his feet and there between heaven and earth he hung naked before mankind who he created and yet they placed him on a cross. Him being perfect and sinless, he died on behalf of humanity. We should have been the one hanging on that cross, but Jesus took our place. He paid for our sin. And you might be here, and it might be your first time ever in a church. Can I tell you that Christ is no longer on that cross? He died, was buried, and he rose again the third day to prove that he can resurrect your sinful self and turn you into a new creature in Christ Jesus, just like he did so many in this room today. Oh, there's hope for you, friend, at the cross. There's hope for you at the cross there's freedom for you at the cross. There's forgiveness for you at the cross. There's redemption for you at the cross. That is where you can escape the penalty of your sin. That is where you can enjoy and ultimately receive everlasting life. 
So we stand at the cross. We stand at the cross. But at the cross, there's a crossroad. And that's something we have to be familiar with. Look at Matthew chapter 7. We stand at the cross. And at the cross, there's a crossroad. Look at the crossroad in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. There we read, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and there be, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. What do we find at this crossroad? A broad way and a narrow way. There is a choice to make at the cross. One will choose to either continue to go on the broad way, in which most do, the Bible says, many do, or you'll choose to go the other direction on the narrow way. Sadly enough, there are two elements here. We recognize that the broad way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to life. So here we are at the cross, and maybe today you're at the cross for the first time. Maybe you've been at the cross before. And may I say, even as a believer, I want in your mind to think about the fact that here we stand before a cross and you have a path to take. You will either take the path of destruction in your Christian life and walk, or you will choose to take the path that leads to life. And so here we are today, whether it's your salvation or whether it's your sanctification, the fact is, is that we stand before a cross. And at that cross, there is a crossroad. Can I say today also that at that cross and at that crossroad, there, is many, there are many things that cross your mind. I think about that crossroad and here we come to the cross and there's a crossroad at the cross, but at the crossroad there are many things that cross our mind, like if I choose that path, I'm going to lose this. There are choices to make, aren't there? How many times has someone that's lost, someone that does not know Jesus Christ, how many times have they come to the crossroad only to walk away, to continue to go the broad way, to continue on the path that they're headed because they are afraid or they fail to want to give up the very thing that has bound them? Sin has a hold in our lives. And the fact is, is that the Holy Spirit of God must break the bind. And the truth is, is that we stand before a cross. And there at that cross is a crossroad. We can either take the narrow way or the broad way. And the fact is, is that too many times people go to that crossroad and they start to have so many things cross their mind. And those things that are crossing their mind are removing them away further and further from the cross and taking them further down the broad road. They don't want to give up a relationship. They don't want to give up. Up a, a, a vice. They don't want to give up their mindset. They don't want to give up sin in their life. They are convinced that that's what makes them happy. That's what fulfills them. That's what gives them hope. That's what gives them a future. They look to that sinful lifestyle and everything about it as normal. Because you know why? It is normal. Because we are born in the image of Adam in a sense. 
Adam was born in the image of God, but the Bible says in chapter 5 of Genesis that all of a sudden his children were born in his image and in his likeness. And Adam was nothing but a sinner. He had chose to transgress God's law. He had rebelled against God, and as a result, all of his children now are born in the same vein, sinners at the very root. And so it is normal and natural to go the broad way. It's so natural. It's so normal. But when you come to that cross, and I come to that cross, we're going to be confronted with a crossroad. We have a choice to make. And unfortunately, at that crossroad, there are so many things that cross our mind. But may I say this? Make sure you don't cross God. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20, please. Don't cross God. Boy, it's so important we don't cross him. You say, well, God's a God of love. Until he isn't. I'm going to tell you something. Biblically, you read your Bible and you understand that God grows weary with our sinfulness and sooner or later he has to draw a line in the sand. He may still love you, but he'll do it for your own good. Sadly enough, people that are in sin don't see that as a loving gesture. They see it as a gesture to make them more bitter and angry at God. We have to understand that God's love, yes, is there. But can I tell you that God in his love is not going to spare your soul for love's sake. I can love my family, but just because I love them, I can't spare them from some of the hurt and heartache that comes from bad choices. I can, I can love you as a church, but if you as a family choose to make a bad decision in your life, I can't spare you the consequences of that decision. As much as I love you, I can't keep that from you. And the truth is, no matter how much God loves us, he cannot spare us from hell or the lake of fire simply because of love's sake. That was not the price for sin. The precious blood of Jesus is. Look what it says in Revelation. Because you don't want to cross God. It says in chapter 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We come to this cross. And we recognize the fact that Jesus Christ died on that cross. He shed his perfect precious blood on behalf of us. He literally took our place on that cross. He became our substitute, the perfect God-man, hung on Calvary to pay for our sin in full. And he literally, the Bible says, bore our sin in his own body on the tree. And we come to that cross. And at that cross is a crossroad. There is a narrow way and there is a broad way. There is a choice to make. Sadly enough, at that crossroad, there are so many 
things that cross our mind. And Satan is trying to get us to make the wrong decision. But let me tell you what, don't cross God. It ends real bad. Oh, he loves you today. And today, if you don't know for sure heaven's your home and you've never indeed received and accepted Christ into your life, I want you to know that he is standing with open arms before you and said, listen, I have paid it in full. I want you to come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. I'll give you rest. Just come to me. And he's begging you. He's pleading with you. He's, he's exhorting you. Please come to me. Come to me. Come to me. But if you stand before that cross... And you cross God. All of his love and all of his pleading will be of no value to you. As you are being cast according to Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 into the lake of fire. Can I tell you, I know we watch a bunch of crazy movies today. And they have got so many amazing effects. They make things look so real, don't they? But can I tell you, because things have become even more real than ever, sometimes we almost believe that the Bible is like that. It's just a movie. It's fake. It's not real. I mean, hell? Come on. I mean, if you would pull preachers from different denominations across the country, you would find that they have different opinions and ideas of what hell is. How does that happen? Because we've abandoned the only true authority, the Word of God. But the Bible teaches us very clearly and very simply that this place, the lake of fire, is nothing less than a lake of fire. You don't want to cross God. He's opening His arms to you. He's begging you to come to Him. He's telling you that I will forgive you. I will redeem you. He's telling you that he's going to do everything that needs to be done in order to provide you with the blessings that he intended for you all along. You just simply need to come to him and you need to wipe out all of those, those things that cross your mind that would hinder you from trusting and receiving him and wash them away and kick them out and remove them from your mind and say, I need Jesus Christ and get on that narrow road. He wants you to have life eternal. But you know, it's interesting. You know what the lake of fire is? He defines it for us here. He said it's the second death. Do you know there's not one of us in the room that relishes the idea of dying? None of us. None of us go, you know what? You know, whatever. Just do it today. Right now, that's good. I hope that's not where you're at. I'm not saying that we're not confident that heaven's our home, but I'm just saying we hold on to life as human beings. I mean, those patriots back there in 1776, they didn't go into battle going, I hope I die today. No, they wanted to live. They wanted to enjoy the freedom that they had fought for. So the Bible tells us that to reject Jesus Christ is to die the second time. Not only do you have to face death in this life, but you'll face eternal death in the next. Who wants to die twice? It's bad enough dying once. 
and then to never have any hope. Within the context and within the, the bounds of, of, the, of, of, of that fiery inferno is the voice of forever. Forever and forever and forever burning and suffering for our sin. Who wants to suffer for sin for eternity? And you say, I don't know, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well then, my friend, please read the Bible. Would you read it? I'm not trying to just scare you. I'm not trying to tell you, I'm being, oh, fire, oh, fire and brimstone preacher today, huh? Hey, listen, I'll tell you something right now. If I could preach on hell every day and people would get saved every day, I'd do it. I'd pay somebody else to get up here and exhort you. I'll just keep preaching hell. So people keep getting saved. And then I'll let somebody else give the, 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 the teachings and all that good stuff. If I was that effective at preaching hell, I would stop preaching anything else and I'd preach hell every day. But we know that's not how it works, is it? It's a choice you make. I can't coerce you. I can't make you do anything. But may I say today that if you want to be free, free indeed, you want to be forgiven, you want to be redeemed, you want to escape the consequences of sin, you want to have everlasting life, don't cross God today. Come to that cross and that crossroad and choose life. Choose Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you. We're just flesh, Lord. We're just simply dust. But Father, you've put within us a soul, a living soul. And we're going to live forever, either in heaven or a place we call the lake of fire that the Bible designates as the lake of fire. But thank you for the cross and thank you for Jesus who shed his precious, perfect blood as payment for our sin. But Lord, we have to accept that. We have to receive him as our Lord and Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, you told us. Today there may be those in this crowd who have yet to put their personal faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, they're coming to the cross. They've been brought to the cross today and they're now standing at a crossroad. Many things are crossing their minds. May you clear their mind of all the clutter and help them to be able to choose the narrow way. God of heaven, do a work in their life. And for us as believers, may we make the application that we stand before you daily and that if we truly want freedom in our lives, we have to choose your path. That to go the other direction, even as a believer, is to invite bondage in our life. Help us, Lord, we pray. We'll thank you as you give us victory today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every